Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Building Blocks podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bledsoe, and today I have with me Dr. Richard Smith, one of the most interesting people that I get the privilege of communicating with. Uh, I think you'll think so too by the time that we're done. Uh, the disclaimer is that he has invested in things that I've done before, uh, and uh, we're very, very aligned in overall approach. So we'll try not to make this a preaching to the choir session too much and too much of a mutual back padding society. But uh, I'm a big fan of of Dr. Smith and what he does. So I'm gonna I want to get right into it and let him tell you what he's working on now and how he got there. So Richard, why don't you tell him who you are, what you do, and why you do it? All right. Well, it's great to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me. Great to spend a little time with you. Always enjoy our conversations. What comes to mind is that we met in part, yes, through the interest in Bitcoin, but also through the interest in Doc Searles, right? And the intention economy and the idea of the intention economy. And I think that that idea is what really unites us. And I, so what, I grew up in Los Angeles. I did a little child acting. My sister became a professional actress, went on to Berkeley and studied mathematics and got interested in other things while I was at Berkeley and uh, ended up in a PhD program in systems science, which was ostensibly about, you know, how do we deal with things where the holes are greater than the sum of the parts? And uh, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this materialistic, mechanistic, reductionistic, modern view of the world. And I wanted to understand better um, how holes and parts relate. That's why I went into system science, right? System science ended up being really a place where you just kind of did some hand waving and uh, um, really just tried to... to um, solve complicated problems with heuristics and uh, a lot of emphasis still on parts without really um, addressing the whole. And you end up with things like genetic algorithms and neural networks and artificial intelligence. And, and um, I still think it's not representative of who we are as human beings. I don't believe that artificial intelligence is superior to human intelligence. I think that there are things about us as human beings that science can't um, and technology can't replicate and can't have yet to understand, probably won't ever understand. And so I've, I'm very interested in um, kind of the interface, I guess, between being human and technology. I'm interested in um, the thesis of surveillance capitalism. I think that's going on in the digital world. I think that the digital world has what um, kind of become a tyranny over us because it's essentially inhuman. And um, while I find it to be something valuable, I think that it's a mistake to think that it is 
some kind of substitute for um, localism, for for individual people. And that's, you know, broadly what my interests and concerns are. It's been, I've been involved in finance with retail investors, kind of educational finance, if you will, for 20 plus years. I started a website called tradestops.com back in 2004, uh, offering trailing stop losses to uh, retail investors. And it grew to like 30,000 users. And I learned about behavioral finance and, um, you know, started to really see how human behavior was manipulated in digital environments. And then that kind of parlayed into my interest in, in uh, surveillance capitalism and, and, and the digital world and how it works in general and what's going on in the digital world that we need to be careful about. And um, along the way, Bitcoin came into that conversation and I think that's where you and I connected. So I know that was a lot thrown out, thrown out here in a short period of time. And I leave it to you, oh, great host, to uh, unpack that and try to well, make sense of it all. You are a complicated individual. Uh, and it's part of why I think we get along so well. Because there's, I, I get bored easy. I'm not interested in most people because they're simple. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I hate to yeah. say that. Uh, but it's true. And I think that you have your, your mind works on enough levels mm. that we can just keep going into different levels. Mm -hmm. Like we can talk about metaphysics. We can talk about, uh, physics. We can talk about, uh, yeah. capitalism. We can talk about, uh, you know, we can talk, there's so many things that we can talk about and we'll, we'll never, while we're generally aligned, mm -hmm. there's enough difference to make the con the 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 conversations very interesting. And these conversations are bottomless, right? I yes. Mean, you never can get to the bottom of this no. stuff. And if you, you think you can, you you're very along simple. the way. Yeah, if you think you can get to the bottom of a conversation, you're a simpleton. I mean, that's I the truth. One of the most convincing things I learned about in my studies was. Uh, girdles incompleteness, you know, I, I get to abstract just, on everybody here. But, I was uh, just about to say, before we're done talking, we're going to talk about Godel's incompleteness theorem, uh, which let me, let me give a quick overview. Godel's incompleteness theorem proves it is not possible to have a comprehensive axiomatic system of mathematics. In other that words, is complete. That, that, that it completely explains. That doesn't have, that, 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 yeah. that you can't formulate statements in that you can't prove yes there that can't prove. so if, if i'm going to try to sum this up for the listener who doesn't know this already what it means is that a mathematician can look at a statement that is axiomatically true and immediately know that it's actually false or mm -hmm. nonsense <laughs> incomplete yeah that that I can't say false or well i i can say incomplete. i can say false or i can say Faults are incomplete, are nonsense. Okay. Like this, I could pr axiomatically prove, and this is basically one of the statements that he used to demonstrate it was, you know, uh, uh, this statement is false. Right. Yeah. Which is all, nonsense. All Cretans are liars type. Yeah. Of yeah. So, yeah. so 
that you can prove that to be axiomatically true in his uh, system yeah, that he built. Yeah, okay, I get what you're saying now, yes. Mm-hmm. But you can just look at it and instantly know that it's actually false. So but yet, you know, this is what I see happening is we're trying to construct a world that is axiomatically, you know, uh, rooted and that we want to believe will be complete and perfect. Yes. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, it's not Coley, possible. And consider... if you're dealing in the digital, if you're dealing in digital, you're dealing with, computation you're dealing yes. with with uh with essentially an axiomatic world yes and in that world you know there there are still gods and uh you know they are not you and me <laughs> yes so so what the what's the implication here of godel's incompleteness theorem it means that it may never be possible to have a theory of everything because it's, it's not possible i, I was it, just, i just learned a new word this morning I think it's made up, but um, I was having this conversation over in uh, Ben Hunt's Epsilon Theory Forum uh, with another physicist, and he used the word trans-empirical. Yes, that's a good word. I love that word, trans-empirical. I've heard that word. And and, and this is another thing. Another thing you have to take away from Gödel's incompleteness theorem. What I wrote was uh, Gödel's incompleteness theorem proves to me that perfect empiricism is impossible. I believe that to be true. And I think uh, what we can take away, one of the things, one of the many, many things, the implications of Godel's incompleteness theorem is that whatever is happening in a mathematician's mind when he ascertains that something is true or false, it is more than pure computation. Absolutely. And this, this, is, a, this is pretty wild, really. But the, so, you know, the, the, the leading... What technologists, you know, I, I science is more technology today than actual science, and um, you know, they really want us to believe that the world is mathematical, yeah, and, and it it's certainly, demonstrably not, it certainly to a degree is mathematical. I mean, it's, it, I mean, ballistics yes. holds it, it is to a degree, but a mathematical description of the world will always be incomplete, but. The problem, and here's the problem, even if you could get past Godel's incompleteness theorem, if you didn't really, let's say you didn't really understand it, mm-hmm. so you're kind of discounting that, and you think the world is completely calculable, that you could mm-hmm. take any beginning state and calculate out um, what the end state was going to be right. based on a set of rules. Okay. Chaos theory, the double pendulum problem. Mm-hmm. So... If you take a pendulum attached to a pendulum and you line them up straight mm-hmm. and you release two pendulums at as close to exactly the same moment as you can mm-hmm. with exactly the sync. same force that you can, yeah, they will be very closely aligned for some time, yep. but then they will become wildly divergent based yep. on tiny, tiny, immeasurable differences in the starting condition. Yeah, I mean, chaos. And those amplify over time. So you actually chaos can't. is a deterministic theory. It's a deterministic system. I mean, chaos in the in the yes. mathematical sense, right, is deterministic in that if you can specify the initial con- conditions with enough specificity, then you can know where it's going to go. But the trouble but, is, you can't specify those initial conditions no. with sufficient specificity. You, you can't set the two pendulums moving at exactly the same point in time 
with exactly the same force, and so they diverge, even though they're both on deterministic trajectories. And, and what's interesting to me, predictable from their initial conditions, you can't they, predict uh, it. It's still you, unpredictable. You can't, you can't ever know the initial conditions. Essentially, there's two layers to this problem to me. One is uh, chaos theory that it is you can actually show deterministically that you cannot calculate sufficiently to predict the double pendulum. It's impossible given the laws of physics. Yep. You cannot stay ahead of the double pendulum with your calculation. It's impossible. Right. Even if you could do some ridiculous amount of calculation every Planck time, mm -hmm. which, you, which you can't. You can't do a calculation every Planck time. It's, you can't. Mm -hmm. But even if you could, you still could not calculate the paths of both pendulums even if you perfectly understood angles and momentums uh, and forces you still couldn't calculate so right we have a calculable indeterminacy <laughs> yeah and now let's complicate this by this adding isn't complicated in, enough already <laughs> it is not it's not apparently it's not because the universe is even stranger okay okay so now let's let's throw in quantum wave functions. Let's throw in Schrodinger's equation. Let's throw in Maxwell's equations. Okay. Uh, so basically, there's no such thing as a particle. There's a vibration in a field that has a particular energy. And when right. that energy breaches a particular level, you get a peak that registers as a particle. Mm -hmm. But because it's not a particle, because it's actually a wave, it has extremely strange behavior that you can't actually predict and you can't actually measure and you can't mm -hmm. actually know. So, we call, I mean, isn't it just a probability density function? It really is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, I mean, calling it a really wave do, gives it a sort of physicality that it doesn't well, have. I want to use, I want to put that picture in people's mind because there's really anybody who says they understand quantum physics is a liar. It's impossible. Richard no one does. Feynman said no one understands That's quantum right. physics. Okay. That's Richard it. Feynman. Anybody who says they understand, all we can really do no is. No one understands quantum physics. It's not comprehensible. It no. does not tell us much about the nature of our reality. No. Swimming every day. Yet, yet, our reality is built on top of this. We have an yes. incalculable predictability. So quantum we have, physics is the most accurate science. It, you it, know, quantum mechanics is the most accurate science ever invented. Whatever you can make the math do, do you can construct an experiment to prove, and it will mm -hmm. prove it. And that's super weird. And and all you can do is do the math and try to make some kind of sense of it, uh, which is very hard because you because if you can't actually know if the part if there's a particle there, if you can't actually know the attributes of the particle, then it's impossible to calculate what's going to happen, except as a probability. I can tell you the probability there's an electron appearing here uh, that I can't, I, but I, I don't actually know until after the measurement. So right. we can't actually, there's no predictions really. There's just the calculation of probability. So we have this, I, I but, think the, the measurement but the probability actually creates the particle. But the, it, it's that's in, a participatory universe is a real possibility. That, that, that's my current position. So <laughs> I can't say that that's crazy talk because quantum mechanics is crazy talk. Um, Absolutely. But my point here being that there's two layers here. 
at the quantum level, we have a, we have a highly calculable indeterminacy. But then, built on top of that, we have an incalculable determinacy. So why should anybody care about all this, Greg, besides me and you? I'm not sure. <laughs> but I think the nature of the universe is bizarre and interesting. And I, I think, have a reason why I think people should care about I it. I have a reason about I so so I try not to get too much into metaphysics on the podcast, just hint just hints here and there. But your your beliefs about the metaphysical nature of the universe and its existence infiltrates your thinking through many, many other things. And, and your will, relationships yes. and your economics and your social yes. society. I mean you work this Everything. out, your, your metaphysics. Now, there are other ways to get to all the same points. And what bothers me is that, that uh, you know, the modern science technocrats want us to believe that they don't have a metaphysics, that they're exactly metaphysics right. free. Yeah. <laughs> but Meanwhile, nothing that's could like, be further from the truth. That's like saying, if you can go left or right and you stand still, you didn't make a choice. Right. You, you did. Yes. There's no there's no way out. You 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 believe mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Uh and and there's no way to not believe anything. It's not it's like you believe something. Whether you understand what you believe, whether you've thought about what you believe, you still believe it and it still affects all your choices. It still affects all your other beliefs. And I don't know. I feel like one of the one of the when I was do when I was running the uh higher train deploy company and I built a set of training for uh, all these kids coming out of college. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't stop calling them kids. They're grown people, but mm -hmm. they're, yeah, they're right. like early 20s. <laughs> and I, I can't stop calling them kids. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so these young adults coming out of college, going into the corporate world, one of the things I did to kind of shake them up and get them ready for the, the corp campus to corporate program that I had, that I laid out for them, was to go over some basic epistemology yes. that you can't actually know anything. Mm -hmm. And Descartes actually solved this problem. What can you actually know? Mm -hmm. He figured it out that all I can know is that I'm having this experience right now. Mm -hmm. I, I can't actually know the future will be consistent with the present or the past. Mm -hmm. I can't actually even know the past is real. Mm -hmm. So now, Every decision that we make, everything we do is built on a pile, an infinite stack of unprovable assumptions. Mm -hmm. And that is necessarily true for everyone. Mm -hmm. And another way to think about that is if the amount of things that there are to know is infinite, but what my mind can hold is actually finite, then I am necessarily always in a state of infinite ignorance. So should we just give up? No. <laughs> I mean, you could. You can. But I, I actually don't think you can. I think we're biologically driven to continue to strive, to continue to try to achieve some kind of goal. Yeah. But I don't think you can give up. You could give up. I mean, there are people who <laughs> opt out, people who choose to go live under a bridge and just eat whatever they can find. And when they die, they die. Mm -hmm. Like, And there's people who choose to give up ultimately and just end it. I mean, that happens. People do that. I don't think, I think that's very, very counter to how humans are programmed. There are people uh, that, you know, 
pursue religious spiritual enlightenment by moving to the desert or to a cave that's in right. the mountains that's, of India. Or uh, who am I to say that's wrong, Egypt, right? <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, right? There's lots of, lots of different answers to, to these, to the dilemmas yeah. being human. So I'll just say this conversation is not going the direction I thought it was going to go. I thought we were going to talk about Finiac more, which I'm, I still want to get to, but I love this conversation. Yeah, well, I, I tell you, I love this kind of conversation. I bring, I try to bring it up with people all the time mm -hmm. and most people don't want to get into it. Uh, and this is one of the reasons I really like talking with you because we'll get, we can get into it. Yeah. Well, um, so, right. I forgot to mention Finiac. Finiac is my current business venture to help investors understand the value of risk management slash modern portfolio theory and behavioral finance, right? And how these things are really essential to ultimately being a successful financial decision maker, which Greg, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like the digital world, the metaverse, if you will, is actually a financial world. And so I think these tools of, of decision-making, financial decision-making are relevant to our digital lives. And I think we all need ways to defend ourselves against the abuses of narrative which were really pioneered in the financial markets uh, as a way to extract money from, from those who uh, don't really examine the underlying narratives. And so that's the connection to me with this conversation yeah. is that we're living in this kind of digital narrative-based reality more and more every day. and there are propaganda techniques essentially that 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 disrupt rational decision making okay so volatility being one of the big ones you know the more wild the volatility swings are the less you know rational and consistent you can be in your decision making and then those institutions or individuals who understand mathematics can uh, basically arbitrage away, you know, arbitrage the reactionary stupidity of millions of people online and convert that into wealth. So that's kind of my thesis of the markets well and said. of the metaverse okay and i'll say that and you so, have some direct experience i know i don't you i don't know you probably don't want to talk too much about it but i know you have direct experience with in the financial world uh interacting with uh systems designed to work this way and yeah trying to reform them from within mm -hmm. uh and failing because right. they don't want to be reformed Definitely. uh and and i i like we don't have to get into that but people should just know that you're not talking out of your hat. You, you've got experience. Right. Yeah, look, I mean, there's this guy, Robert Cialdini, right, who wrote a, um, Persuasion, I think. And uh, it was about kind of how uh, 
behavioral psychology is used to get us to buy things <laughs> that we didn't mean to buy, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and in, and it was supposed to be this. You know, he was. I think he's a PhD, University of Arizona or something. I don't know if he's in psychology or what, but it was like here. Hey, here's all the ways I'm getting fooled. And I can be kind of uh, objective about it and look at them and examine them and identify these patterns of how people get persuaded to do things that they didn't really mean to do. And then um, instead of that becoming kind of a manifesto for individuals to protect themselves, it became the Bible of, of salespeople, online salespeople, to get you to buy things that you didn't need to buy, right? <laughs> so... And that aren't going to really deliver the value to you that they've promised to deliver to you. So, I mean, this is the nature of advertising. And, uh, you know, it's the, it's the consumer society that we live in. And uh, there's not much way around it. But I think we can be smarter about how we interact with it. And, um, and you know, again, I'm taking things up to a pretty abstract level here. At the most basic level, Finiac is about helping people build better portfolios using not only, you know, um, good insights into what might go up or what might go down, but how you put things together and how you control for your own behavior so that you don't screw things up yourself. Yeah, well we said. We admit the enemy and he is us. So what does Finiac actually stand for? The idea is like financial brainiac, right? Smart yeah. finance. So you got to be, you, you know, this is the way the professionals do it. And uh, it hasn't reached the retail audience because the retail audience mostly exists just as feeder fish for, you know, the institutional sharks. And most of the business models in retail finance just make money off of our stupidity, not off of us actually making money. You look at Robin Hood, for example, and they make money off of selling, you know, your orders to market makers, Citadel Securities, et cetera. And they get paid based on the, uh, how volatile the asset is. They get more money for a more volatile asset. The wider the spread <laughs> between the bid and the ask, you know, don't necessarily want to go into those details, but the more money Robinhood gets paid. So, you know, going back to GameStop, that was the perfect storm of profits for Robinhood that hit right around the time that they were doing their IPO, uh, made them and their venture capital backers a ton of money. Uh, all the while it being, you know, kind of, uh, what, not disowned by them, but, you know, saying, hey, it wasn't our fault, but it was, it was whatever, no matter what they say, it was the perfect profit event for that business model to have the public go mad over an asset, to not only be in the most volatile asset in the market, but to be trading options on the most volatile asset in the market. That's the most profitable thing that Robinhood gets paid for. So that whole model of monetizing insanity and stupidity, unfortunately, underlies most of what passes for retail finance today. And... Uh, there, you can make money in the markets. You can um, earn a living even by mid helping to take on the risk that institutions or commodity producers and consumers, et cetera, don't want to, 
you know, shoulder all by themselves. If you're a smart risk manager, you can get paid. But that's not what most people are doing. And uh, But if you want to make money, that's what you need to do. The big platforms become big by psychologically manipulating lots of people. I mean, yeah, for the as, most... a, as a true, uh, I think it's a truism that there's probably exceptions, but for the most part, they're, they're going to be those entities that understand the psychological triggers that people can't resist. Yes, and that's why I think like Google and Facebook are financial companies. And that's why the thesis of surveillance capitalism makes such sense to me, right? <laughs> It's like yes. people have become a commodity. Yes. And that's a terrible way to understand people. It's a terrible way to build a society, a culture, an economy. It's actually a psychopathic way to it's understand. It's a psychopathic way. Absolutely is. But, but Greg, it's a logical way when you, you know, understand the world the way that the modern world does at least modern america i don't know if this is true everywhere but but when you understand the world as as purely axiomatic going back to why you know gedalian incompleteness matters when you understand the world in a purely axiomatic mechanical algorithmic way then nothing else matters there's you know, individual humans don't matter it's all just power and computation and and ultimately death so sorry, but that's kind of the, um, you know, the worldview that uh, much of our corporate and economic and, and market realities subscribe to. That's the metaphysics, you know, that we really don't matter. Artificial intelligence is going to come along and replace us anyways, and we're all going to get universal basic income, you know, and while the while the super intelligence takes care of things better than we can take care of it ourselves. Sounds like hell on know. earth, doesn't it? Yeah, to me. It does. It does. What then what do I do? Not I have no real goal to shoot for. Crazy. Go sit on the beach. Listen, my ADHD needs me to feel a little Play bit video desperate. Games. Like I need to feel a little bit desperate or I don't do much. Like my ADHD, I'll just spend all day chasing whatever intellectual rabbit uh, without focusing it on anything productive. Yeah. Uh, but when I get to that point where I'm like, okay, things could go really bad for me if I don't like uh, keep my focus on this thing, when the adrenaline starts to kick in a little bit, that's when I can actually do stuff. If you took that away, if you gave me financial security to the point where I don't ever have to worry about money again, then I don't know how productive I could actually be. Yeah. Like, and it it won't work anyways. Yeah, you won't have I mean, financial security. It, it wouldn't work, but even if it did, it doesn't sound appealing to me. It doesn't me sound like a world that is going to be any fun. Let's bring Where's this your... back to uh, blockchain now and, and uh, digital currencies, right? And, and just look at FTX. Oh, Lordy. Lordy, Lordy. I, I, I mean, we have talk to... about a corruption <laughs> of the original intent of yeah. the white paper. Well, I mean, this is the culmination. Now, planned or unplanned? I think it supports my thesis that most retail finance is about, you know, making people mad and picking their pockets while they're going insane. 
Thanks for listening to the first 30 minutes of my episode with Dr. Richard Smith. You're not going to want to miss the rest. This is where we really start telling you what we think. It gets much better from here. We cover the differences between various cryptocurrencies. We cover many other interesting topics. And don't forget that you can only get the full episode exclusively on Real World Podcasts. Don't miss it. And don't forget to visit our sponsor, CoinGeek. Thank you.